Hello, welcome to our sermon for today for Barton Church. Uh, you, if you're familiar with the series we're going through, it's uh, Little Letters, Big Truths. Is that right? Oz? That's the one. That's the one. And we've done two John, three John. We've done Philemon. Today we're looking at Jude, which is the last one in the series. So I'm going to start by reading some of the letter, most of the letter. I'm going to finish at verse 19. So starting at verse 1 verse 19 and then we will start to think about this uh, unusual and tricky letter and see what Oz has to say. Yeah well hopefully two voices into this will help the uh, understanding we'll see. Hopefully yeah. Um, So here we go Jude. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends... Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. 
These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Okay, well, we'll stop there. Plenty to be going Mm. on with. Well, Oz, where do you begin? What do you do with a letter like that? Wow. Well, I think the first thing that I thought about was how the language in this letter is very different to the language that we would normally use at Barton, maybe in my conversations. It's pretty extreme. In fact, it's pretty offensive um, to many. Many of us maybe read that and thought that language is quite judgmental. It's condemning. It's there's no grey. It's black. There's not really much white. Um, and I think the first thing to do is understand why Jude is using language like that. And maybe there's quite a bit of Old Testament in there that we don't understand or that we might have some sort of vague memory about. So I thought languages. What do you like with languages, James? Uh, I did GCSE German. That's it. OK. Yeah. So, you know, a few phrases. I know a little bit. Yeah, I did GCSE German. German. Okay, so we yeah. could attempt. We could try. I don't <laughs> know how successful it would be. Right. Entschuldigen Sie bitte, wo ist der Bahnhof? Hallo, ja, the Bahnhof ist an linken Seite. Ah, danke schön. Kein Problem. There you go. There we go. Way. We did it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I could say to you, Kaklacho Bono Kamoso. Right. Do you know no. what that means? No. Okay. I have no idea. It's, it, this language is only spoken by probably, I don't even know, a, a million people in the world, maybe. Not not an awful lot. Okay. South African at Setswana, and it means I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Um, it's a it's a phrase that I learnt whilst I was in South Africa, and in an attempt to get to know people and understand a bit of language, I tried to learn some phrases. It's the only phrase I actually remember. Um, but language, as we know, helps us understand one another. Um, but it's not just languages; it's terminology, isn't it? So if we were to talk about um, you don't really like snooker, do you? No, oh, we've had okay. this discussion off camera oh, other man. times. There goes my snooker illustration. Okay. Cricket. Well, people people listening might, no, not cricket either, but people listening might yeah. appreciate both of those activities. They could, I won't call them sports because they're not really sports, are they? Well, there's a bit of a debate we could have around that. But either way, for the purpose of this illustration, snooker, cricket, rugby, golf, you pick a, pick a sport, basically. Um, and we'll come on to other areas in a moment. And there is some fixed terminology and language used so that um, you can understand what's going on. There's all sorts of phrases, there's all sorts of terms that if you are a novice to snooker, like yourself, you might be confused by. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, um, maybe let's move from sport, uh, film critiquing. Do you ever watch or, or listen to any podcasts with film critiques? Uh, no, I, I've watched some YouTube videos. Um, okay. About film, yeah. Yeah. I've watched films as well. You there have you indeed. And yeah. so again, there's all sorts of different um, terminologies used maybe to analyse films and to understand what's going on. Is there equilibrium? How is the start and the end? Kind of Does it come together? All this kind of stuff. So language, my point is, is really key for understanding um, the, the subject and to communicate. Um, and when we read or hear, you read a book like Jude, 
we might feel I certainly as I was preparing this feeling a bit like well I don't really understand on the surface what's going on there's extreme language that's quite offensive being used uh, that's quite judgmental it's about condemnation eternal fire um, verse six everlasting chains for judgment on the great day uh, Sodom and Gomorrah the punishment of eternal fire verse seven blackest darkness has been reserved verse 13 it's all about judgment um and a guy called William Barclay, you might have heard of him. I have, yeah. I can't even remember like when he wrote, but it's probably mid-1900s, mid to late-1900s commentaries. Yeah, I think that's about right, yeah. Probably was a, a vicar. Um, let's pretend he was. I, I should have done my research. <laughs> but William Barclay, he sort of written stuff on the Bible, including on Jude. And he said, Jude is simply doing what all the New Testament writers do and which every writer must do in every age. He is speaking to men and women in language which they recognise and understand. So as we come to Jude, we've got to get into the world of Jude and of um, the Jewish people, which seems to be the main audience. And they knew their Old Testament, um, many of them at least. And so this, this book, which really is about the ungodly, it's about false teachers, it's a message um, to a church that seeks to be about protecting and contending for the faith in Jesus Christ, as the apostles had given, um, uses language that makes them wake up and listen, sit up and listen. Mm. Um, and so rather than disregarding it and going, do you know what? I haven't got time for that bit of the New Testament. I mean, it's a bit different, isn't it, to 2 John 3, John 5. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It kind of it feels a bit gritty and a bit um, hard. It's on, just, yeah. yeah, harder to make sense of. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if we take William Barclay's advice and the kind of illustrations we've used with language, we need to understand the language. Why is this language being used? What is the purpose behind the language? Um, <laughs> that's where it gets harder to figure yeah. out, I guess. So there we go, without labouring the point. Um I would just say, I mean, I'm sure you recall my New Year's message. Word for word. <laughs> well, the you theme. did, yeah, you did use Jude, didn't you? You referred to Jude, um, and particularly the, the towards the end of the book. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I did indeed. So we're going to focus a bit more on the section that you read. Right. We will allude to the end of Jude, which is the good news yeah. bit which basically talks about God's love, God's power to keep us as believers following him. Yeah, but if you, if people want more on that, they should listen to your New Year's message. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Why yeah. not? Just because yeah. it was came out the first week of January doesn't mean it's not relevant Quite, for yeah. end of Absolutely, May. Absolutely, yeah. And it was all about passing on the baton of faith in Jesus. That's right, yes. Being aware of our context, being intentional in our discipleship, and resting in the fact that we're kept by Jesus. So before we dive into some of the, the nitty gritty of Jude, let's just remember um, that God keeps us in his love, that he grows us, encourages us to grow in his love with others. And that's kind of why Jude's writing. He wants the church to, to be aware of God's care for them, but also their responsibility to be alert, to be watchful, to be on their guard, to contend for the faith because it's under attack. And I want to suggest that it wasn't just under attack then, it's under attack now from the ungodliness in our world today 
and also from within the church today. Hopefully not, not from within Barton, but maybe. Um, so let's grapple with that. So context of Jude. Um, and th- yeah, two two references are made in Jude 9 and 14 that might particularly yeah, cause questions. Yeah, these references to Enoch and... Um, yeah, Enoch and the the uh, incident with Michael and the devil arguing over Moses' body. Yes, yeah. that's right. Which some people might be thinking, oh, I can't recall those bits in the Old Testament. Yeah. They're not in the Old Testament no. Hebrew Bible. So the Testament of Moses, which is a source that Jewish believers of Jude's day would have been familiar with and read, not a part of the canon of scripture as we know it, but respected wise writings saying, not inspired, but yeah, respected writing. And also the first book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. Um, now Enoch's in the Bible. There's quite a few references to him, um, but we don't have the book of Enoch. No. So, so yeah, just to understand that within this letter, there's a few extra biblical sources referred mm. to. Um, but Jude um, also went by the name... Judas but we don't um, see the book called Judas because there was a fear that it might be linked to yeah Judas Iscariot that's it so this is Judas he mentions he says he's a brother of James yes so that's James the um, one of the three heads of the church yeah right the brother of Jesus the half brother of Jesus exactly so not the disciple or one of the twelve no but he's so he's related to a fact it's from Jesus's family essentially precisely yeah so what we could call as pretty good source really for writing a letter and having authority um and this was was spread and used amongst the early believers of the time even though he wasn't one of the designated apostles and so this genre and style of jude how would we describe describe that what are your thoughts on the style of writing um of jude um well it reminds it's it's almost like a um i don't know it's a, a, a letter it does remind me a bit of um almost like it could be a chapter from one of the longer epistles in the new testament mm. um but uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's it's a letter, isn't it? And it's it's a bit like some of two Peter, a bit like some of two Thessalonians as mm-hmm. well. It's kind of got that judgment oracle, yeah, sure. Old Testament vibe. Even judgment's a huge theme. Um, obviously, there's lots of allusions, and just as I read it during the last few weeks and was thinking about this, kind of highlighted a few words that reflected two groups within this. And the dominant one in the bit that you read are the ungodly. Mm. Who There's words like deny, pervert, unnatural, immoral, reject, condemned, destroyed, punished, judged, gloom, you know, pretty negative stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the godly who are being written to, beloved, called, kept, mercy, uh, received mercy, friends, but dear friends, mm. Jude says, condemned, um, not condemned, holy. Um, so we've got these two groups that that Jude is putting out there, and one of which is the the, the camp that the the false teachers sit in, um, which is pretty obvious. So if we if we think about um, the heart of what Jude's trying to say, it's contend for the faith, 
And we, we see that in verse 3. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. You see, he wanted to write about salvation. He wanted to write and encourage them about their salvation in Jesus and the hope of his return. But actually, he ended up writing a letter that was about contending for the faith that was entrusted to God's holy people. And and that's because it was under threat. There was a danger in the early church of division, of uh, a changing of the gospel because of false teachers, because of the ungodly influences of society. And one of the reasons we get these letters is because of um, the pastoral desire, the pastoral heart of the leaders uh, to, to care for their flock and the apostles, people like Paul and Peter mm. uh, and John as well. So, so there's that. And there's a, we need to safeguard the apostolic teaching and doctrine and truth because there are, there are people out there that are changing it, twisting it, distorting it. And if that happens, if, if that would have been successful, Christianity wouldn't be here today, mm-hmm. we, you, you might say. So they're told to contend. And so to contend for something is to fight for it, is to uh, defend it, um, protect, proclaim the gospel. Um, and I was thinking about how the two forms that this takes, and one is maybe the outside attack and the other is the mm-hmm. inside attack. So, okay. so if we think about those two kind of spheres, the outside attack as many of you know, I, I like my football, but there'll be numerous uh, analogies that we could draw. So recently, Manchester City played Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final. And Kyle Walker, who's a defender for Man City, I heard on interview, had to make sure that he was aware of the outside attack of the um, the forward winger, Vincius Junior, Junior Vincius. Um, and if I can say it right that helps and um and and he is fast skillful and one of the the prolific strikers Mm -hmm. in Europe so what did he do did he just turn up and hope that he got on a right no he did his research he watched you know lots of his gameplay he understood the kind of skills and moves that he did Mm -hmm. and he invited him to run out uh, and try and beat Walker down the wing because Walker was confident in his speed and he kept him in his back pocket in the second leg, at least. Right, yeah. Uh, there was some talk of him trying to do a rainbow flick over Walker, but apparently it didn't work. So, right. you know, rainbow <laughs> flick, you might be thinking, what's yeah, going yeah, on there? Yeah, this is that terminology you were talking about earlier. Each sport yeah. has its own terms. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. Something that, I'll be honest, I've never mastered. No. Did you ever master not, that? No. Well, it's yeah. quite an elaborate thing, isn't it? It is, really. Yeah. It's not a sim- like a step over or anything, is it? <laughs> That's <isn't>? it. <laughs> yeah. So there's the outside threat, a known external body. You get you, you do your work to get to know that threat so you can defend against it. And so I think Jude's going like, know the context and we'll look at what, what he points to in a moment. And then there's the inside threat, which are the false teachers, according to verse four, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. So as well as there being this ungodliness, Mm -hmm. this general kind of threat, there's a specific internal um, under the radar influence that what false teachers seem to specialize in. So we were playing as a family recently, a game called Saboteur. Mm -hmm. I believe you've played that game. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
just played it a few times trying to get my head around it. I was a saboteur when I played it for the right. first time. And my job was to, without the rest of the um, family knowing, um, basically disrupt the mining efforts to reach the gold as a dwarf, which yeah. was my card. Um, but as soon as I was known to be a saboteur, then it would be less effective. Yes, you get your tools broken, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah. So tactics, strategy, mm. staying under the radar, like a lot of games, um, is pretty key. And so for the false teachers, they would come across as being on the same page. Therefore, they secretly slipped in. But they were actually twisting, perverting, changing, um, teaching a different gospel, which is what Jude is writing against. So that's the, 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 the main kind of purpose of this book. Um, and we get that in verse four. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have slipped in. And he's pretty clear. They're ungodly. They pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our Lord or sovereign and Lord. So they seem to be cheapening the gospel of grace and then going, do you know what? If God forgives you and is gracious and he loves you, then it's okay. Do what you want. Be immoral. Mm. You know, decide how you want to live sexually or be happy, express yourself, be who you are. God loves you. He'll forgive you. And that kind of sounds a bit like a uh, a tolerant culture mm -hmm. that we may be living at the minute. Yeah. Um, but what it stems from is this cheapening of the grace of God. And um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship, uh, who is a well-known 20th century um, writer, theologian, said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. So I guess in Bonhoeffer's understanding, we cheapen grace if we're not careful. We miss understand the truth of costly grace and it's maybe this is what the false teachers were doing and saying you've got a license to live how you want and that denied jesus now i think in in the two john passage were you talking a bit about denying jesus um in denying that jesus came in the flesh that's what that john talks about yeah so a similar a different heresy if you like a different false teaching but the same concern for john that yeah. um False teachers were misleading the church. Yeah. Was it Arius who talked to... Was he a denial of Jesus's coming in the flesh as uh, not fully divine, maybe? Maybe I'm trying to recall my church history. So Arius was um, the opponent of, of Augustine, I think, when they talked about free will. Right. Okay. I think, yeah. yeah. So that's, I think that might be pre predestination free will oh right okay was it not the guy against athanasius no. that was the athanasius athanasius yeah that was the um yeah the nature of of christ whether christ was like god or whether he was god yeah so okay. actually throughout history we're yeah. not going to dive into that check out one of our podcasts where we're on on it 
yeah, <laughs> rather yeah, than we do touch on some of these things in the podcast. But yeah. the, the denying of Jesus, so whether that's to do with him coming in the flesh, as John wrote in 2 John, or whether that's to do with his divinity, his humanity, questioning the Trinity seems to be um, one of the issues here. So that's that's the kind of opens up. And then we from verse five in, Ju- in Jude all the way through to pretty much where you ended um, reading, we get a long list of Old Testament examples. And I was just thinking, if I was structuring a letter, I would have an order. I'd have a like a way of doing it. And I think a lot of the writers in the Bible and the New Testament do that. They kind of have a structure. It's not just kind of, oh, and this and this and this. I mean, it can be. Um, and so one of the, the um, suggestions that I've had as I've looked into this is that there's two trios of historical examples. So we could look at the first trio and these two trios of historical examples basically say, look, contend for the faith, remembering that God will judge the ungodly. And, and therefore, because of that, um, you need to watch out for the threat of false teachers. Uh, that seems to be what Jude's doing. So we've got these three first uh, historical examples that the Jewish listeners or readers would have gone oh yeah so there's in um in those opening verses from verse five down to seven unbelieving rebellious israel the fallen angels rebellious angels and the wicked rebellious sodom and gomorrah situation um maybe we'll just very briefly touch on those three Mm -hmm. so unbelieving rebellious israel god saved people from the exodus entered the wilderness took them to the edge of the promised land, Canaan. They went, inspired the land, came back, said, no, too scary. We can't take it. Um, and therefore, um, we're not going to go and take the land and we don't trust you, God. God judged them through 40 years and that that generation wouldn't enter the land. I think that's the reference mm-hmm. that we've got here. Yeah. yeah. Later destroyed those. So it's not a lightning, you're dead. But it's a, you're not going to enter the promise, you're going to die here. Um, So that was one rebellious example. Mm -hmm. Shall I get you to explain the fallen rebellious angels? That's complicated. Yeah, (laughs) it's complicated and not, there's not loads of it in uh, scripture. So you kind of have to read between the lines and you can't be certain. You can't be. Verse six points probably back to Genesis six. Um, but again, it seems to be that the angels rebelled against God's authority and um, did that through um, sexual relations with the daughters of men, women, and um, read about it in Genesis 6 mm. and ask your questions another day would probably yes. be the best way of answering yeah, that's that. another tricky passage. It really is. Um, but the heart of it is that the fallen angels won't escape God's judgment, just like unbelieving Israel didn't escape God's judgment. The fallen a- a- uh, angels, not aliens, angels won't escape judgment. Well. <laughs> yeah. Aliens in this passage. There we go. Um, and then the third example, James, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. Another Genesis reference. Yeah. From uh, Abraham and Lot. Yeah, that's it. And uh, two cities that were destroyed due to their sexual sin and rebellion um, against God's God's way. Uh, so 
God brings judgment. Uh, don't mess with him. And so in the same way, verse 8, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their bodies, reject authority, heap abuse on celestial beings. It's kind of a pointer again to the angels, celestial beings, rejecting of authority, to um, the defiling of the flesh, sexual sin, to um, yeah, the blasphemy of glorious ones, sins of unbelief. So Again, understanding this, it's not necessarily straightforward, but we can see the thread of judgment, the thread of rebellion against God and judgment that followed. So that's kind of the first trio. Then you've got this reference that we've already made to the Archangel Michael and the body of Moses, which comes in the Testament of Moses, this non-inspired writing that the Jews would have been familiar with. And then if we jump to the second trio, verse 11, We've got Cain, Balaam, mm. and Korah. Yeah. That's the second three. So the way of Cain was what? What kind of thing do you think, James, there? Well, again, Genesis, Cain and Abel. So Cain was a, a murderer, murdered his brother Abel um, because he was, well, probably possibly jealous of the fact that Abel had been accepted by, or Abel's sacrifice had been accepted by God yeah. and Cain's hadn't. Yeah. So read all about it in the early chapters of Genesis. Balaam, um, again, a different situation. A bit more complicated to understand that one, actually. Mm. There's this guy who is yeah. told to curse the Jewish yep. people, the Israelites. Yes, that's right. Um, and can't. I can't. think that's right. Yeah. When he tries to, he ends up blessing them instead. That's right, yeah. Uh, hired by this King Balak, or Balak, uh, Moabite. And um, and then ended up leading Moabite, Moabite women to lure the Israelite men into relationships uh, away from God at Peor. So the way of Cain, unbelief, sin, murder, the way of Balaam, ignoring truth, maybe ignoring God, rebelling mm -hmm. against his authority. Um, and then Korah, another rebellious Old Testament example from mm -hmm. Numbers 16 where the Levitical priests revolted against Moses um, and this attempted coup led to their judgment, basically. And the earth swallowed up rebellious um, right, yeah. Korah um, group of people. So we've got this, this, this sort of thread of unbelief, ignoring truth and rebelling against God, all of which leads to the metaphors which follow in verse 12 down to 13. And um, there's six of them. So we'll just quickly highlight them and they further build Jude's case for God's judgment against ungodliness and against therefore false prophets or teachers that are ungodly. Um, and that opening one blemishes at your love feasts. Other translations have um, hidden reefs, which is an easier metaphor, because if you've got a hidden reef and you're in a ship, you're going to crash into it. You don't know it's there. A bit like a false teacher that you might not know is a part mm -hmm. of the community yeah. that you're in and catches you off guard. The blemishes at love feasts or like small gatherings where you eat people, I guess, that rub against the wrong way of what you're about as a community. Um, shepherds who only feed themselves. Well, it's not really the role of a shepherd, is it? No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Designed to feed the flock. Clouds without rain in Middle Eastern climate clouds with rain were you know a great thing not mm -hmm. a bad thing like yeah. in the uk <laughs> yeah 
so without rain, well, uh, got my hopes up. You let me down. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, w- what are the other ones saying then? Autumn trees, autumn trees. wild waves. Mm. Um, so the autumn trees are trees, I suppose, like, but as it says, without fruit. Uh, so trees that aren't in producing any fruit because it's autumn and uprooted so twice dead i guess because they don't produce fruit and then they've been uprooted and then the wild waves of the sea oh i guess um an element of chaotic kind of behavior and dangerous Mm. behavior um foaming up their shame Mm. yeah and then wandering stars whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. He's got a way with words, says Jude, hasn't he? He has, yes. And those metaphors kind of further back up, really, the historical examples. So he's using nature, he's using history to make what's quite a clear point to um, the people about what Enoch, another Old Testament guy that we've already talked about, prophesied. The Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone to convict them of their ungodly acts so judgment's coming um and there's examples of judgment throughout history throughout the metaphors that have been used for the context of jude's day and these people are summarized in verse 16 as grumblers fault finders they've got evil desires they boast they flatter they have their own advantage as Mm -hmm. the main aim so how does that leave you feeling james yeah it's it's uh, it's quite it's quite strong. Does he's not a big fan, is he? Yeah. Of these these people, um, so it's yeah. I suppose it can be quite overwhelming the thought of uh, how sort of dangerous, how serious this this yeah. is, how heavy. Yeah. And so Jude's time, it was apparent, it was it was clear cut. The language used was probably understood more you know, readily than possibly for us. But it was real. This was happening. How do we link that to, let's say, that the rogue teachers of today in our context? Because we believe God's word is is relevant always and applicable to today. So I was thinking, you know, what does this look like? And we're not the kind of church and individuals that are about to name and shame uh, the false teachers out there publicly. Um, but we are aware, you know, God has said, and and um, in verse 17 and 19, the apostles have said, predicted mm. the last times that there will be scoffers, those who scorn and mock, who don't have the spirit, who divide. Um, and so this is something that's been prophesied about. This is something that is real and i guess there's been a lot over a lot over recent years about deconstructing faith mm-hmm. um and not rebuilding it on yeah. the on the truth of what we would say is the authority of scripture so that would be something that maybe um you've heard about uh, and how there's been a lack of trust in the reliability of the bible and in the um, authority of scripture and where that happens the faith passed on to Jude who passes it on to the church from the apostles um, over the years gets questioned and so we as an evangelical church have a high view of scripture we want to stand on that we want to ask questions and grapple and apply it but um, 
a lot of voices uh, on YouTube and in society will question um, how we interpret scripture and the reliability mm. of it. And I think some of our podcasts and in, in postcards from Antioch address reliability. Yeah, we have some apologetics yeah. pod- podcasts which look at some of these these specific issues. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I, I think, yeah, deconstructing faith or questioning the authority of scripture, the reliability. Other areas may be um, fundamentalist teachings at either end of the spectrum, you know, be that the you 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 will be healed, prosperity teaching stuff, or the other end, you need to know your doctrine and everything, get it right, uh, and almost this legalistic mm-hmm. knowledge based salvation. Yeah. Um, but there's the truth is we've got to always, whenever we hear the Bible taught, test it against the rest of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's right. Rather than. Um, take on board and assume we believe so I, th- I think one of the things that is always good to do is to check the source of the book you're reading the sermon you're listening to the 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 network denomination the movement what are they standing on how are they managing their um yeah use of scripture because there are false teachers among as the the evangelical world as as well as the broader christian church and the ungodly influences of our age. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we kind of move from that text into the last bit, I'm keen for us to, maybe this is actually a good point for a bit of positive right, Jude. Yeah. Could you read verse 20 to the end? Sure. So this is the rest yeah. of the letter. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen to that. So we have a positive note to finish with, don't we? Yeah. Jude doesn't leave yeah. us in the doom and gloom of ungodliness and the kind of attack and the threat of false teachers that overcome Barton Church. Mm-hmm. He's kind of saying, don't worry, it, it, it's not there. The power, we can have hope because the power is in with God, yeah. in his love, his plan. Yes. Yes, and uh, that last uh, last couple of verses, which maybe I feel like those are a couple of verses that get used in in services and things like that. Probably the most familiar verses from Jude mm. to him who is able to keep from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Mm. So that's kind of an encouragement, isn't it? Mm. That we um, 
obviously, particularly as we talked about, the seriousness of the situation can be quite stressful. Mm. But the final verse is, is God is able to keep us from falling. Yeah. Um, so it's not that it just depends on on us all the time. Yeah. That's so reassuring, isn't it? Because if it was about us protecting the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, holding on to truth when under attack, we would feel pretty stressed and overwhelmed. Yeah. But actually, God has preserved his church over the years mm, through the heresies that have come up, through the false teaching and the attacks of the evil one. Um, and here we are today in 2023. Yeah. Um proclaiming what we understand to be the same gospel and to see the power of that at work in our church, in our lives. Um, and God is the one that has kept and preserved and built that. So I think just maybe to end two kind of practical things, one would be um, contend for the faith by growing in faith, um, uh, by growing in the truth and love that you've just read about. Mm-hmm. And and Jude seems to do that. He said he uses verbs like building, praying, waiting in verse 20 and 21 by being merciful. Verse 22, we can be people that actively seek to grow in the truth um, and by growing in the truth, in the most holy faith, in practicing that through, through trying to save those that doubt and show mercy to those and save those from the fire. You know, we don't want to see people judged. We want to see people saved. Mm-hmm. Um, by living out the truth, growing in the truth, waiting for his return. That is the best fence of, uh, form of, of, of defense. Is, yeah. is that, that is our attack. Our attack is to grow, to trust, to save, to work um, for God in prayer and his power. But then the other thing that I wanted to say was that we should also contend for the faith by knowing the threat. Mm-hmm. Like Kyle Walker for Man City against... Uh, Vincius Jr. Like um, you when you play saboteur with your friend. Who, who are the secret invaders? Who are the guys trying to stop me getting to my gold? <laughs> the threat outside and within. And we need to know the threat. We need to be aware. We can't just ignore it. And so as church leaders, as staff, um, as we are teaching the Bible, as people in life group together, we should say, what is what is false teaching how, how do we know what false teaching is and i came across um five tests by um uh, four tests um by john piper who some of you will know um and and i think this is quite a helpful thing that he came up with he said there's the fruit test are is the person with the teaching living out what they're teaching is there fruit in their life the doctrine test does it depart from key truths in scripture Mm-hmm. there's the scripture test is the individual submitting to scripture or are they actually misapplying misinterpreting it and then there's the gospel test does it actually change the gospel at its heart does it twist it cheapen grace is it more works or is it justification by faith alone and so those sort of tests the fruit of of the life the doctrine the scripture the gospel are questions that we can ask when we come across a teaching we think oh i've never heard that before that's a bit well, okay, let's test it against what we know. So we need to know the truth, but we can test what we hear against what we know. And if we're, we're younger in our faith, maybe we can talk to someone mature, a mentor or a friend or a elder pastor, a life group leader. 
And then the other practical thing I was thinking about that I came across in an article was um, to be aware of the types of false teachers. And there was uh, there's an article I read um, by a guy called Tim Chalice who talked about seven types of false teacher. And I thought, oh, some of those are a bit different to what I thought. I'll just share them now. And then maybe they one or two resonate with you. Um, because if this is real and we we, we want to in love protect people at Barton Church, keep the truth central, yet yeah, grow in it, grapple with it, learn and understand, but but not be swayed by new odd teaching that actually is damaging and going to kind of damage the witness of Jesus. So the first is the heretic. That's the obvious thing. The kind of the most prominent dangerous of false teachers. It's going against contradicting essential teaching of the church faith through the ages. Um, the second is the charlatan, which is like the interested in the Christian faith to the extent that their wallet can benefit. Mm-hmm. So there's a ulterior motive, which is money, wealth, you could say prosperity teaching um, might be like that. The prophet, the new prophet, which claims to be gifted by God with a fresh revelation outside of scripture. It's new, it's authoritative, it's predictive about something. And it seems like, oh, this is exciting, but actually it's extra to teacher. It's it, when tested against a uh, scripture mm. it doesn't match up yeah. the then the, another one um was the abuser using a position of leadership to take the advantage of other people and sadly there's lots of scandals and issues with that at the moment um and we need to make sure that we uh, lead with humility and truth and integrity then there's the divider the one that's trying to destroy the church disrupt the church teach something that causes people to get really passionate about a secondary issue mm. rather than the gospel main issue um, and actually damages the church's witness. The tickler, which I found quite amusing, <laughs> it's that probably comes from that phrase in Timothy where the itching ears mm, that you yes, yeah. you have, you know, the sound teaching. So it's a false teacher that, that basically wants everything. It's about people pleasing, mm. getting the crowd, the entertainment rather than the truth uh, and speaking yep grace and salvation but also the reality of judgment um and then the last one the speculator obsessed with novelty originality and speculation about the future maybe the end times and exactly what's going to happen so just a few different ways maybe of thinking about the threats within and outside of the church mm. Um, and, and so maybe just as we, we wrap that up, maybe at, at Barton, we need just to think about how we can contend for the faith by knowing the threats, like a good defender, um, and also growing in the truth um, by, by being sure of the, the gospel as we know it. And we need each other for that. Mm. And maybe yeah. that's what Jude's trying to help the people in. Great. Well, thank you, Oz. Um, I've just had a, a revelation of my own that you were right. If Arius was Athanasius, was opposing opponent of Athanasius, not Augustine. So there you go. Okay, it's not quite false teaching because it was a genuine mistake. Exactly, and it yeah. was corrected. That's right by so, yourself, which yeah. is better than if I kind of. Yeah, you were very gracious to to not <laughs> pull me up on that. There. So yeah. yeah, but thank you, Oz, for for that, and for hopefully. For those of you who've listened to this and watched this might have helped you 
um, understand a bit about a book that is uh, tricky or scary or confusing and to understand some of the, the things that are going on in that and that you can be encouraged to to take our faith seriously uh, and know what we believe so we can defend against uh, false teaching and keep bringing good news that transforms lives to people who don't know it yet. Thank you very much and hopefully see you on a Sunday at Barton. Yes. Have a great bank holiday weekend. Kerklach or bono kamoso. If you remember what that means. Bye.